Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. The readings for this weekend present the beginning of two prophetic careers, both of Jeremiah and Jesus. Jeremiah tells us in the first reading how the Lord came to him, who as a, a young man called him to be a prophet. Notice what it says. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you, a prophet to all the nations. God knows Jeremiah before he was even created in the womb. God knows Jeremiah intimately. Now, this is a great lesson for each and every one of us. God knows each and every one of us intimately, just like Jeremiah. And before each and every one of us were created in our mother's womb, God knew us. He knew us better than we know ourselves. Better yet, he knows us for all of eternity. Now, Jeremiah, he protests he says, I'm too young. Now, scholar, Scripture scholars believe that Jeremiah was around 14, 15 years old when God called him to be a prophet. Now, remember, in the ancient world, there was a patriarchal society. Older males were looked upon as leaders based upon their status. And Jeremiah is telling God just this. Because he's so young, no one will listen to him. And yet, notice what God says to Jeremiah. Gird your loins, stand up and tell them, all that I command you, do not be crushed on their account as though I would leave you crushed before them. For on this day you have been made a fortified city, a pillar of iron, a wall of brass, against the whole land, against Judah's kings and princes, against its priests and people. They will fight against you, but not prevail over you, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Well, God is telling Jeremiah, first and forehand, that he is being sent, not just to the Israelite people, but for all the nations. Now remember, in the past, the prophets were always sent to the people of Israel, and only them. But now something has changed. Jeremiah is being sent to all the nations. Jeremiah is not just a prophet for Israel, but he's being sent by God for all the world for all the nations. And so, this provides a great setting for the gospel. When we read the gospel from Luke, Jesus has just conquered the devil in the desert, and now he returns home. He returns home to the town of Nazareth, and he takes the scriptures to read in the synagogue and chooses a passage to read. Now, what's so interesting about this, when we go to Mass on the weekends, the readings are already assigned to us by Rome. But in the day of Jesus, the readings themselves could be chosen by the reader himself. And so Jesus does just that. Jesus decides to read from the prophet of Isaiah. The passage dealing with how the world would come 
to know the long-awaited Messiah has come. As it says, the blind would see, the deaf will hear, and a year of favor of the Lord would be proclaimed. Now this is important. Prior to Jesus Christ, the Israelites would read this as a prophecy, that some point in time, this would all happen. And yet Jesus now declares, this prophecy has now been fulfilled, precisely in him. That's why Jesus says, Today the scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. Now this is overwhelming for the Israelites. The Israelites knew this passage very well and what it meant. They were accustomed to hearing this as well as the dream, as a hope to come someday in the future. But to hear it from someone right in front of them, that today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, this had to be incredibly overwhelming for the Israelites in that synagogue. Now, what's interesting to note, in Mark's gospel, the telling of the story, the people immediately responded negatively, and they sought to kill Jesus. But in Luke's gospel that we hear for this weekend, in his version, the audience originally, their first response upon hearing this was positive. It said, all spoke highly of him, and they were amazed. There we see why the people are so favorable to Jesus. It says in the gospel, they asked, isn't this the son of Joseph? What are they thinking? If Jesus is the Messiah, well, he's also a local boy, and therefore the people in Nazareth will benefit enormously by it. The logic here is one in which of if Jesus is the Messiah and from their own hometown, then all is good for everyone in the town because he will take care of their own. See, Jesus senses this immediately and that's why he says, Surely you will quote me this proverb, Physician, cure yourself and say, Do here in your native place the things that we have heard done in Capernaum. So you ask yourself, what is going on here? Well, the buzz surrounding Jesus has now gotten around. Prior to this gospel passage, Jesus has been preaching, teaching, curing the sick, and doing amazing things. Now that he's back home, Jesus has publicly proclaimed to be the Messiah. And now the people are expecting. They're expecting to benefit by that because Jesus is a local boy. You know, it reminds me of the famous political line, all politics is local. And this is precisely what we have here, local politics. We see this in our present day and age. We have an elected leader, they go to Washington, they get a prominent position, and then what happens? Well, the local people from where he originated at, well, they'll benefit by that. The government official that has risen to a prominent position in Washington will now be able to repay those people that got him started by sending more federal dollars back home in terms of spending or grants or loans from the government. Well, the same thing holds true here. This is what the people in Jesus' town of Nazareth are seeing in Jesus. Logic dictates. Now, Jesus would take full advantage of this, but he doesn't. Instead, Jesus involves two little-known stories from the Old Testament. The first is Elijah the prophet. Jesus reminds them that during a time of drought, Elijah was sent not to help the Israelites, 
but to a widow in the land of Sidon, in other words, to a foreigner. Elijah was a great prophet of Israel, chosen by God, and yet God does not send them to help the people of Israel, who are in a dire need, experiencing a severe drought. Instead, Elijah is sent to a foreign country, to Gentiles, to help the people there. Next, Jesus invokes another little-known story of the Old Testament. The time deals with Elisha, the prophet. As it says, There were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha, the prophet, and yet not one of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. Now, Naaman was a general from a rival country, and it is Elisha that helps him in his leprosy. Again, the same message. Elisha, the prophet of Israel, didn't help or benefit Israel, who were experiencing leprosy themselves. But instead, Elisha was sent to help a Gentile, a foreigner, of their leprosy. During these great times of need, whether it was famine or leprosy, God attended to the needs of other nations rather than Israel themselves. And Jesus is reminding the people of this, especially in his own time that Israel exists not for its own sake or for its own benefit, but for the sake of this world. Israel is not meant to glory in their own gain for themselves. Instead, Israel is meant to be a means by which God gathers the world to himself. They were meant to be a magnet to other nations. Just as Jeremiah is called and sent to the nations, and not just to the Israelite people, The Israelites were meant to be, you could say, a vehicle of God's love for all the nations in this world. Now notice how the people react upon hearing this. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were all filled with fury. They rose up, drove him out of town, and led him to the brow of a hill on which their town had been built to hurl him down headlong. Now that's a pretty angry mob. Just a few minutes ago, They were speaking graciously about Jesus, and now they're so angry with Jesus, they want to kill him. Why? Because Jesus won't give them what they want. They want a Messiah for themselves alone and for their own benefit. Now you say to yourself, okay, so what does this have to do about me living in the 21st century? Well, we can easily fall under the same trap ourselves, expecting God to only benefit us. Expecting God's grace will only smile upon us to give us good health or successful careers, etc. You say to yourself, well, I belong to the church. I'm baptized. I come to Mass on a regular basis. I follow God's command. I should get something good out of this rather than those people that don't do this. Well, our purpose as baptized is precisely the role of Israel, to be a conduit of God's grace to work for the world and others. God wants us to now be like God wanted to use the Israelites as a vehicle to other people. And here is the key. We have to learn to cooperate with God's grace wherever you find it. Sometimes God blesses others. He blesses others with success or happiness. And yet we can't fall into that trap of resentment. In either case, whether we are blessed or other people are blessed, we should find joy in it. 
God doesn't want success, as Mother Teresa always told her nuns. God does not want us to be successful. He wants us to be faithful. And I think that's the heart of the first reading as well as the gospel for us all. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.